all the glory for everything. Amen. Let's stand together if you would. Now turn to page 221. Page 221. How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord. We're going to sing all verses as we begin this morning. Sing it out on the first. How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he hath said to you who for refuge to Jesus have fled in every condition, in sickness and health, in poverty's veil, or abounding in wealth at home and abroad on the land on the sea as your faith may demand shall your strength ever be when through fiery trials thy pathway shall lie my grace all sufficient shall be thy supply the flame shall not hurt thee, I only design thy dross to consume and thy gold to refine. In down to old age all my people shall prove my sovereign eternal unchangeable love. And when whitened hairs shall their temples adorn, like lambs they shall still in my bosom be born. Fear not, I am with thee, oh be not dismayed, for I am thy God, and will still give thee aid. I'll strengthen thee, help thee, and cause thee to stand upheld by my righteous, omnipotent hand. The soul that on Jesus hath leaned for repose, I will not, I will not desert to its foes. That soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. Amen. Somebody say amen this morning. What a promise in Scripture through song this morning. Amen. Praise the Lord for all that He has done for us. Remember to keep our pastor in your prayers as he'll be traveling back from Indiana tomorrow. He's got about a six, six and a half hour drive tomorrow uh, to get home and uh, praying for him as he is preaching there at Landmark Baptist Church there in Evansville, Indiana. And uh, good to have Brother Rocky Harrell with us this morning, and he'll be preaching uh, for the main service this morning. And again tonight, I know he'll be a real tremendous blessing to you as well. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning, ask him to bless our services. I'm going to ask Brother Jim Wisdom, would you pray for us as we begin this morning?
Amen. You may be seated this morning. Let's go ahead and turn to page 178. Page number 178 this morning. Are you washed in the blood? I hope you can say yes to that amen this morning. Page 178. Sing it out on that first. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you fully trusting in His grace this hour? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you washed in the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you walking daily by the Savior's side? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Do you rest each moment in the crucified? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you washed in the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? When the bridegroom cometh, will your robes be white? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Will your souls be ready for the mansion's right? And be washed in the blood of the Lamb. Are you washed in the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Let's stand up and get around, shake hands with one another this morning. Good to see each one of you here. Glad for our visitors that are visiting with us this morning. We're thankful you chose to be here as well.
page 178. If you lost that page number, we're going to sing that last verse, page 178. Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Let's sing it out together on that last lay aside the garments that are stained with sin and be washed in the blood of the Lamb. Lay aside the garments that are stained with sin and be washed in the blood of the Lamb. There's a fountain flowing for the soul unclean. Oh, be washed in the blood of the Lamb. Are you washed in the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? And if you're not, I hope you make that decision before you leave today. Amen. Brother Tim, come right ahead. As the men come for the offering, I'd like to read to you from Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11. He says, But Christ, being come and high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And for this cause he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Amen. Brother Raymer, would you pray for the offering this morning? Amen. You may be seated. Let's turn to page 363 for our last song together. I'm going to ask you to stand one last time. Page 363. Aren't you thankful Jesus still saves this morning? Amen. Let's sing it out on the first verse. We have heard the joyful sound. Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Spread the tidings all around. Jesus saves, Jesus saves. 
Bear the news to every land Climb the steeps and cross the waves Onward tis our Lord's command Jesus saves, Jesus saves Wafted on the rolling tide Jesus saves, Jesus saves Tell to sinners far and wide Jesus saves, Jesus saves Sing ye islands of the sea Echo back ye ocean caves Earth shall keep her jubilee Jesus saves, Jesus saves Sing above the battle strife Jesus saves, Jesus saves By his death and endless life Jesus saves, Jesus saves Sing it softly through the gloom When the heart for mercy craves Sing in triumph for the tomb Jesus saves, Jesus saves Give the winds a mighty voice Jesus saves, Jesus saves Let the nations now rejoice Jesus saves, Jesus saves Shout salvation full and free Highest hills and deepest caves This our song of victory Jesus saves, Jesus saves Amen, great singing and you may be seated this morning Just before Brother Tim comes to preach I want to go ahead and introduce our speaker uh, this morning, Brother Rocky Harrell, and uh, we're excited to have him here. Long time, um, uh, uh, what am I trying to say, professor at Heartland Baptist Bible College, and how long have you been there now, Brother Rocky? Five years full time, but I've taught 23 years. 23 years, so just before I went there. Yes, so, okay, so 23 years now he's been there uh, at, uh, at Heartland Baptist Bible College, and just a blessing, teaches Baptist history, Baptist distinctives. Baptist everything, all right, and uh, just uh, just a great man of God, and uh, of course uh, was the pastor there at Tulsa Baptist Temple for many years as well, and he's going to be uh, preaching this morning, and I know it'll be a blessing to you. All right, Brother Tim, come right ahead. so long ago I cried out for mercy back then I pled the blood of Jesus begged him to forgive my sin but I still can't forget it it just won't go away so I wept again Lord wash my sin but this is all he'd say What sin, what sin, that's as far away as the east is from the west. What sin, what sin, it was gone the very moment you confessed. Buried in the sea. 
of forgetfulness <clears throat> The heaviest load you'll carry is a load of guilt and shame You're never meant to bear them So let them go in Jesus' name Our God is slow to anger Quick to forgive our sin So let him put them under the blood Don't bring them up again Cause he'll just say What sin? What sin? That's as far away as the east is from the west What sin? What sin? It was gone the very moment you confessed Buried in the sea of forgetfulness Lord, please deliver me from my accusing memory Nothing makes me weep this way than when I hear you say What sin, what sin, that's as far away as the east is from the west. What sin, what sin, it was gone the very moment you confessed, buried in the sea. Of forgetfulness Well, thank you, Brother Tim, and I'm thankful that my sins are forgiven. Uh, that is the best news you will get anywhere this side of the grave. Your sins are forgiven. I know where I'm going today, not because I'm a Baptist, but I'm certainly a Baptist. I'm going to heaven, not because I'm a pretty good person. I'm a church member. I've been baptized. I'm going to heaven because my sins have been forgiven. And I am thankful and grateful for that. Thank you. I've never heard that song before. That was a blessing to my heart. Well, it's a joy to be here. I was here three years ago. It's a very memorable time. Uh, we were here on Sunday and we went back and the national shutdown took place. That's why I remember that so very vividly. But it's a joy. I appreciate Pastor Stewart inviting me to come and preach in his absence today. And I want to say to this church, I want to say thank you for your support of Heartland Baptist Bible College. Uh, you have been a very generous supporter of the school and uh, you've sent us some students, and uh, we appreciate that very, very much. And I'm looking at some graduates here. And that's a blessing to be able to come and see, hey, I remember teaching them. I remember Brother Watson. It was long ago, but I remember that. <laughs> and uh, I'm thankful. I'm thankful. I saw Jack Parker here. I'm thankful for that. I remember him sitting in my class. 
And so I just want to say thank you for your investment in the lives of young men and young ladies. I have a message. The Lord's not going to let me preach it here. But I'm telling you, you are investing in eternity. Not in, not, please listen, not in buildings. In young men and young ladies. They're going to go all over this world and preach the gospel. And lives are going to be changed. And uh, that's going to be something to look forward to one of these days when we stand at the judgment seat of Christ. So I just want to say thank you so very much for your giving to Heartland Baptist Bible College. It is certainly appreciated and is certainly needed. And we thank you so much for that. Well, I, uh, I never for lack for something to preach as a pastor, as a preacher. Uh, I always try to figure out what does the Lord say you need. And I've really sought the Lord and... And, and I don't know why, but I couldn't get away from the passage we're going to look at this morning. And so I, I trust you'll give me your undivided attention. It's a difficult passage. It's the Word of God. Amen. Word of God. You get some meat today, okay? And I know you're used to some meat from your pastor preaching. He's preaching through the book of Romans. There's a lot of meaty stuff in there. But I want to invite you to take your Bible. Go with me to Hebrews uh, chapter number 10 uh, this morning. And if you're able, I'm going to ask if you'll stand with me and honor the Word of God. Hebrews chapter 10, and I'm going to begin reading verse number 26. Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 26. The Bible says, For if we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sorer punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy, who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God, and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing, and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me, I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, watch this, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. I want to pray, and I'm going to preach this morning, if the Lord will help me, on the damage, the damage of deliberate sin in the life of a believer. Father, I pray this morning that you would bless your word. I'm thankful that we have the inspired and the infallible, preserved word of God. I'm thankful that what I'm going to preach today is not somebody's opinion I'm thankful it's the very words that you spoke long ago and you've kept them to this very hour. I'm thankful for this church. I'm thankful for the good pastor, the good people that are here. I thank you for these that have assembled this morning. And I pray now that your Holy Spirit would fill me. I pray that you would speak through me today and help me as I preach this passage that can be kind of difficult, but I believe this is exactly where we're supposed to be today. So, Lord, I, I want to ask for two things today. I want to ask, first of all, if there's someone here and they do not know that their sins have been forgiven as far as the east is from the west, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would bring conviction and bring them to a place of repentance where they can put faith and trust in Jesus Christ this very day. 
But Lord, I'm, I'm praying for your people today, for those that make a profession that they know you as their personal Savior. Would you do a work in all of our lives today that are saved and help us to think about this very serious subject today on the damage that deliberate sin can do in our lives. And we'll thank you for all that you do now in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. you may be seated. Thank you for standing for the reading of the Word of God. So I believe I'm talking to some believers this morning that understand that the Bible very clearly teaches that sin in the life of a believer is a very serious matter. It's not something that's not a big deal. And, and I would say this, because I have talked to people over the years of my life, well, I'm saved, I'm on my way to heaven. Uh, I don't have to worry about my sin because my sins are forgiven as far as the east is from the west. Well, that's true. They are forgiven, but sin's still a serious matter if you're a child of God. It's not something that's slightly to be uh, taken, not a big deal. And I would even submit this to you, and you can fuss with me. That's all right. I'm not here to fuss with you. But I would say this to you today, that sin in the life of a believer is more serious than that of a lost person. Because you've got better knowledge than a lost person. We're going to talk about that here in just a moment. Now, this passage here that we're going to talk about is in the book of Hebrews. And let me just say this about the book of Hebrews. There's much that can be said about this, but primarily... If Paul, and I believe Paul probably wrote the book of Hebrews under divine inspiration, he is writing to believers that are Jews, that have come out of Judaism, that have gotten saved, and because of all the things they're experiencing, they're wanting to go back. And Paul says, you've got something way better than Moses. You've got Jesus Christ. And that's what he's been talking about. So as we come to Hebrews chapter 10 this morning, we are coming to the fourth of five warning passages in the book of Hebrews, and I don't, for time's sake, I don't have time to deal with all five of those this morning. We're going to deal with the fourth one here today. And all of these warning passages deal with believers because that's who Paul is writing to in these books, these Hebrews Christians that have trusted Christ as their personal Savior. Now, the thing that makes this passage so very difficult in a lot of people's mind is the question, well, Who's Paul writing to here? Is he writing to Christians or is he writing to people that are lost? What is, what is the deal here, all right? Well, I'm just going to look at what the context says, okay? Is that okay if we do that? Because context is king. And it makes a difference how this is put here. So let me give you some reasons just off the start why I believe that the Apostle Paul is writing to save people here. First of all, would you look there in verse number 26? Because he uses the personal pronoun, we, in verse number 26. The writer is referring to himself. But hang on there. If you go back up to verse number 22, 23, and 24, the writer says, let us, let us, let us. And then he says, not forsaking the manner of ourselves together. By the way, y'all to be in church tonight. This is not anywhere in the notes, but it'd be a good time to be in church tonight. Because you wouldn't want to miss church and somebody think you're doing something else that's not going to amount to anything in eternity. That's what our D, DRV, well, I don't know, D, whatever, I, don't even, I don't even have one. That's what a recorder's for. I'm just here to tell you, we're supposed to be together when the house of God is open. Amen. All right, that was free. It cost you anything. All right, so he says, let us, let us, let us. He said, ourselves. And then he comes into verse number 26 and he says, we. He uses the personal pronoun there once again. So I believe the context here is talking about believers, but there's something else here. Look with me, second of all, in verse number 26. He says, 
After that, we have received the knowledge of the truth. All right, two things here. Number one, notice that word received there. That, re, that word received refers to a definite act. We have received in a definite manner the knowledge of the truth. Watch this. The word knowledge there in verse number 26 refers to full knowledge, just not an acquaintance with the ways of salvation. And this is something that a believer has when they get saved. In fact, Paul would say it this way in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved. Amen. He wants all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. When I got saved, I just didn't get acquainted with it. I got the whole wheelbarrow, friend. I got everything that the Lord wanted me to have when I got saved. And people who have received full knowledge of salvation are saved people. Number three, look at this here. Look down there in verse number 29. He uses another word. Now we're going to go back and preach this here in just a second. I'm just laying the table out here. Look at this. He says, wherewith he was sanctified. Sanctified is to be set apart. So listen to me, ladies and gentlemen. When you got saved, you were justified. You were declared righteous because of what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross of Calvary. But then you are being set apart practically every day. Practically, that's a key word there, because hopefully you're becoming more like Jesus Christ in your life. Ultimately, you will be glorified because you'll be perfect just like he is when we get the other side. But we're not there yet. But listen to me. Listen, listen. But when you got saved and you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you know what happened to you? Positionally, you got set apart. You got sanctified positionally. We call that positional sanctification. Now, would you notice back up here? In verse 14 of Hebrews chapter 10, I just want to read this to you. It says, for by one offering, he hath perfected forever them that are what? Same word we're talking about here. So again, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to try to make the case here that people that are sanctified positionally are people that have been saved and they have, been, they have had their sins forgiven because of the complete sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. Man, I'm thankful for that. All right, one more thing here. Look down here, verse number 30. The Lord shall judge his people. We're talking about his people here in this passage. That's what we're talking about. I just, I'm just trying to show you where I'm going with this. And so this passage that we're going to consider this morning, it, it is dealing with deliberate sin in the life of a child of God. Now, please listen to this. I'm not talking about an occasional miss up. That's still serious to God. I'm not trying to make light of that, but I'm just trying to do, deal with what the, the context says here. We're not talking about something that someone falls into unintentionally. We're not talking about that. The key word there is in verse number 26, willfully, intentionally, on purpose, defiant. I'm going to do this. I know what the Bible says, but I'm going to do what I want to do anyway because it's what I want to do. I am going to disobey God. That's what we're talking about. Willful sin. So this passage that Paul is writing here to these Hebrew believers, it refers to, I'm going to use the word premeditated sin against God. I'm going to do this anyway. 
I know what the Bible says. I know what my pastor would say. I'm going to do this anyway because why? It's what I want to do. That's what we're going to deal with here today. All right? One other thing here. And I'm going to get to the preaching. All right? What's this? Notice that word sin. It's in the present tense. What does that mean? Well, it's talking about a lifestyle of sin. Or it's talking about a repeated action or repeated disobedience, ladies and gentlemen. So we're talking about stuff, and, and I'm telling you, I'm thankful for what Brother Watson uh, taught, kind of preached in Sunday school this morning. It's very good because it kind of goes right along with what I'm going to say. Because let me tell you something, we ought to love God. We've got to love people, but to love people, you've got to love God. If you love God, you're going to love people. And I'm going to tell you that even in this culture in which we live, we're going to get to this in just a moment, that you can say, I love God and not love people. You know what you're doing? You're disobeying willfully, on purpose, in spite of having better knowledge. So I want you to notice with me here in this passage this morning, I want you to notice three reasons that I believe that Paul lays out here why deliberate sin in the life of a child of God is so very damaging. That's what I want you to see this morning. First of all, I want you to notice this. I want you to notice the posture. I'm going to use the word posture of deliberate sin. How, what is the posture of someone that has deliberate sin? All right, There are two, two truths here I want you to see. Look with me in verse number 26 again. Now look at it. For if we sin willfully... After we receive the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. All right, so listen to this. If you, if Rocky Harrell, if I sin deliberately after I have received the knowledge of the truth of the Word of God, watch this, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. Now, I grew up over here in southwest Missouri, just a couple hours from here. And uh, we grew up where there was a free will Baptist on every corner. You say, what's a free will Baptist? Well, I think they're people that think they're Baptist, but they're really Methodist. That's what they are. And so uh, they, would, they would look at a passage like this, see right there. You see, they got saved and they lost it. Well, first of all, you can't lose it. Because if you could lose it, hey, if you could lose it, you never had it. Because it's eternal. All right. So what does this phrase mean here? There remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. All right, listen to me. Paul is writing to Jewish people that recently came out of Judaism and received Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. So to the Jews, on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would make a sacrifice for all the sins of all the people for that year and only the high priest could walk into the tabernacle and later the temple and put blood on the mercy seat and make an atonement for the sins of the people for all that year. He did it once a year. But on a daily basis, listen to this, no provision was made for what the Bible calls Old Testament willful or presumptuous sins. Didn't have a provision for that. But listen, when Jesus Christ made his sacrifice at Calvary's cross, listen, listen it was for sin and sins. Let me say it this way. Singular, plural. Well, what's the difference? All right. I want you to notice this. Go back to chapter 9. Just turn back a page. Chapter 9, verse 26, book of Hebrews. I just want to point this out to you. And then let me explain this. 
For then, this is Hebrews 9, 26, For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world, but now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away, what's that word? Sin. Is it singular? Yes, it is. Put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. All right, go back to Hebrews chapter 10. Look at verse number 12. Look at this. But this man, Hebrews 10, 12, after he had offered one sacrifice for what? Sins. It's plural, is it not? For sins forever sat down on the right hand of God. All right, so somebody said, all right, well, what's the distinction between sin, singular, and sins, plural? Well, the Bible declares that you and I are sinners in two ways. How's that, Brother Rocky? Well, (laughs) we're born with a sin nature. Because we're born with a sin nature, we commit acts of sins. But it comes because we have a sin nature. Now, ladies and gentlemen, when Jesus Christ died on the cross of Calvary, he paid the price. Listen to this. He paid the price not only for our individual sins, but he also had to deal with our sin nature. Had to deal with that. And the moment you receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, listen to this, that one sacrifice that was made almost 2,000 years ago is made effective in your life. Your sins are washed away and God deals with your sin nature in that now you're a partaker of the divine nature. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse number 4. Now listen to me. Oh, I still have to deal with my flesh. But now I have the Spirit of God that indwells me. Now I'm a partaker of God's divine nature. And listen, here, listen, here's the point. You and I, if we're going to live a victorious Christian life, we have to claim the power of the cross for the sins we commit on a daily basis. Harold, Rocky Harrell is not standing up here and saying, well, I haven't ever sinned in 29 years. Now, I've got my wife here today. She'd tell you real quick, that's not true. And neither of you. Because you still sin. Brother Eric talked about it. He, I can't quote it verbatim, but he talked about the verse in Romans chapter 7. Paul says, I'm going to paraphrase, you know, the good that I should do, I don't do, and the bad that I don't want to do, that's what I do. We all deal with that in our life. Well, how do we overcome that? Well, listen to me. We overcome that because of the power of Jesus Christ in our life, because we have the Holy Spirit of God that indwells us, because we have the Word of God. And listen to me, before you get saved, or if you're here today and you're not saved, before you got saved, you don't have a choice. You don't have anybody to help you make the right decision. After you get saved, here's where I'm going with this. After you get saved, after Jesus Christ becomes your personal savior, ladies and gentlemen, when temptation comes, I get a choice. I get a choice. I, I, I can get upset if I want to. It's my choice. I don't have to. Oh, why do you do that? My fleshly nature. Because I'm not being filled with the Spirit. Can I just tell you this? Oh, I just heard Brother Sam preach this from 20 years ago. This is so good. Uh, being filled with the Spirit is not so much a condition to find as a command to be obeyed. I'm just supposed to be filled. You're supposed to tithe. How do I tithe? Tithe! How am I filled with the Spirit? Be filled with the Spirit. Walk with God. Read your Bible. Ask God to use you. Because, ladies and gentlemen, we don't have to give in to the flesh. But we do. 
That's the point. I, I'm just telling you, Brother Rocky's not teaching sinless perfection today because that's not in the Bible. Now, one of these days I will be sinlessly perfected when I get, that's glorification, when I get the other side. But here's the point. For a Christian to deliberately and continually live in sin is to deny the power of Jesus Christ in our life. It is to do what we want to do. Listen to this. In a sense, I want to make sure I say this. In a sense, it, it, it is repudiating the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. Because I'm going to do what I want to do and live how I want to live. And such a believer is saying, it doesn't matter to me if the power of Jesus Christ's cross in my life is available for me. I don't want that. I'm going to live how I want to live. Can I tell you? There's nothing else he can do for you. There is no more sacrifice for sins. He already, he already made that one time. There's nothing else you can do. I'll tell you what I want to do. I'm going to join a church. Well, you can join a church, but that's not going to wash away your sins. You can get baptized in the baptismal pool. That's a good thing. And you're commanded to do that. But it's not going to wash away your sins. My pastor used to say this. I grew up in Laclede County, Missouri. And he said you can get baptized in every creek in Laclede County, Missouri. till every tadpole knows your social security number. But you're not going to heaven. Because there's not enough water in this world to wash away your sins. Because Jesus did that on the cross of Calvary. Is everybody with me today? He paid for your sins on the cross. And if you are a believer and you continually live in deliberate sin, there's nothing else he can do for you. He's done it all. That's why it's so damaging. Because you are denying the power of Jesus Christ in your life to live a victorious Christian life. Mercy. Look at verse number 27. Oh. Here's what you have to look forward to. But a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. What in the world is this talking about, right? One, the posture of one who lives in deliberate sin. Not only do they deny the power of Jesus Christ in their life, but number two, listen to this, they disregard the judgment of Jesus Christ in their life. What is this talking about? Well, Everyone that's saved in this auditorium this morning is going to stand at what's called the judgment seat of Christ one of these days. Now, just in case somebody might be here today and say, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, let me just say it this. Only the saved will be at this judgment. So there might be somebody here this morning and maybe you're visiting you think, well, I just always heard there was a general judgment. There is no general judgment in the Bible. There is a judgment seat of Christ for every child of God that is alive, that has been born again, washed the blood of Jesus Christ, and dwelt with the Holy Spirit of God. They're coming to the judgment seat of Christ. Now listen to this. The judgment seat of Christ is not a judgment to see. Okay, you did enough good works, I guess you get to go in. If you're at the judgment, you're going in. It's not even up for debate. Well, why, why do we have to be judged there? All right, well, let me read you a verse here. You don't need to turn, but just listen to this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, in verse number 11, Paul says this, For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Can I just tell you, getting saved is the foundation. You can't even begin to live a life for Jesus Christ if you're not saved. 
Well, I've been baptized. I joined the church. I do this. I do that. You don't have the foundation. The foundation is Jesus Christ alone, period. There's nothing else you can do. So he's the foundation. All right, so listen to this. He said, now if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, listen to this, every man's work shall be made manifest for the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is if any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. Everybody hear that? If the fire comes down and you've got gold, silver, precious stone, you get a reward. Watch. Verse 15, if any man's work shall be burned, shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved. Yet so as by fire. Somebody says, I don't know if I understand quite what you're saying here, Brother Rocky. Well, I'm simply saying this. That after you're saved, you begin to live your Christian life. And hopefully, you're building your Christian life gold, silver, precious stones. And you're having the right motive for doing that. And you're being faithful in doing that. Well, what does that consist of? Well, I'm glad Yes, Let me help you out here. It involves coming to church. That'd be a part of it. It's not the only thing. It involves giving your tithes and being involved in faith promise giving. It involves witnessing. Be involved in that. It involves why you come to church. Well, why you gave? Well, why you went? Well, I went because I wanted the preacher to think I'm a real good person. Well, let me tell you something. That's not a good motive. It's just not. The right motive is, well, you know what? I want to go to church because I love the Lord Jesus Christ. And maybe, the I, I, not maybe, the Lord may, is going to say something today that's going to help me in my life. I want to go because I love him. I'm going to give not because I have to tithe and I have to give to missions. I do that because I love him. I go out and I go witnessing because I love him. Because he's done so much for me. Is, there, is this making sense? I love my brothers and sisters in Christ. Why? Because that's what I'm supposed to do. Because he loved me first. Gold, silver, precious stone. You've got to get the idea there. And so you're going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ. All this is going to come forth. Fire's going to come down. Woo! I get a reward. I get a crown. There are crowns we can wear. What are you going to do with that crown? We're not going to put that crown on our head and say, Woo, look at me. i got a crown on my head. No, if I understand my Bible right, we're going to take those rewards and we're going to cast them at Jesus' feet because only He will be worthy. And you say, it won't be a big deal. Hey, it'd be a big deal if you went to a birthday party and you didn't bring a gift and everybody else did. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. It'll be a lot more important when you stand before the God of the universe. All right, so you've got somebody else. They're here. They're saved. They've been washed the blood of Jesus Christ. They went to church. Yeah, praise God. They went to church. They went to church. I'm not saying anybody here does this. I'm just telling you, I pastored over in western Kansas a long time ago, and this actually happened, and people came to our church to do business deals. Combining, things like that. It's a farming community. People give money because, well, you know, I want people to know what I'm doing for this church. And there's no love. Please listen. And there's no love for the house of God. And there's no love. I'm giving, but there's an ulterior motive. Yeah, I, I went out, I went out, but I want everybody to know I went out. And there's no love for Jesus Christ. Well, listen to me, because God looks at our motives 
And he's looking at why we do what we do. And it's going to be right there at the judgment seat of Christ that the fire is going to reveal everything that we did. And it could be that it's wood, hay, and stubble. Oh, no, now you got to go to hell. You didn't hear what I read. You're saved. Yet so is by fire. That's the judgment seat of Christ. I believe in the context here of what the Apostle Paul is writing here when he uses this terminology in verse number 27. He says, a certain looking for a judgment and fire indignation. I believe this is the judgment seat of Christ. But notice something else here. He used another word there in verse number uh, 27. He used the word adversaries. Now that's an interesting word. The word that's translated adversaries, the Greek word only shows up one other time in our King James Bible. Just one other time. And that's in Colossians chapter 2 in verse number 14 where it is translated contrary. Now, let's just put all this together. The idea in verse number 27 is those who are living adversarial and contrary lives to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, I want to read you a statement here. It's, I, I think I came up with this. But the greatest handicap a church has is the unsatisfactory lies of its professing members. This is the posture of deliberate sin. I'm denying the power of Jesus Christ in my life and I'm disregarding that one of these days I will give account of my life to the Savior who loved me and it does make a difference how I live now. Hey, can I just say this real quick? I don't have this anywhere written down, but I feel like I just probably ought to say this right now because maybe it'll help somebody here today. But I'm going to tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. If you think, and please listen, we're all going to heaven the same way. We're all going to heaven the same way. But don't kid yourself. There's some people I think, according to what the Bible says, I think some people are going to have a little bit better time in heaven. Because let me tell you something. Brother Eric was talking about the people four and five hundred years ago, our Anabaptists. Some of them had their heads cut off. Some of them were drowned. Some of them were burned at a stake. And they did it because they loved God and they were standing for the truth of the Word of God. You got some old carnal Christian that's saved under the blood of Jesus Christ and they get to heaven? Now they're all there the same way. And I don't know how long it'll be, but I know there's a verse over there that God's going to have to wipe away all tears. And I want to tell you, you're going to say, well, I'll just be glad I'm in heaven and I'll be glad you're there too. But don't kid yourself. Don't kid yourself. You're going to say, man, I sure wish I'd have done more. I wish I'd have done the things a little. I sure wish I'd listened to Pastor Stewart. I sure wish I'd have done what he told me to do from the Word of God. I'm going to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, we're not perfect here, but I'm just telling you, we've got a judgment seat of Christ we're going to face one of these days with our Savior. Number two, watch this. Not only the posture for deliberate sin, but look here, verse 28 and 29, real quick. I want you to notice the punishment for deliberate sin. So look there, verse 28. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two 
or three witnesses. So under the law of Moses, when a person rejected God's word and when they lived in open rebellion, they died without mercy because of two or three witnesses. Now the two or three witnesses come out of Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 2 through 7. So can I just say this to you without going through a long litany of things? I just got a few things listed here. But can I tell you, the law was very severe. Oh, yeah. Like what? Well, there's this verse over there, this passage in Deuteronomy 21, verses 18 through 21, that said, if a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who won't listen to the voice of his father and mother, they're taken to the elders and let the elders take some stones and stone his head out. That's, that, that's so inhumane. Yeah, but the Bible says others will see it here in fear. And therefore, one example will keep a hundred people out of danger. I don't have time to preach that, but it's good preaching. I'm just telling you because it's the word of God. And God said, you know what? You have a rebellious son, you take him out and you kill him. If they won't listen. Okay, that went over real good. How about this? How about Leviticus chapter 20, verse number 10, where Moses said, and, and God speaking, if the adulterer or the adulteress, if they're found, stone them. Oh yeah, those are severe. How about this one? How about Numbers chapter 15, verses 32 down to verse number 36? Listen to this. A man was out picking up sticks on the Sabbath day, and God said, stony. You're not supposed to do that on the Sabbath day. <gasps> That's why I don't like the Old Testament. Oh, read your Bible. God is a God full of mercy and compassion and long-suffering in the Old Testament. But he said, I don't want you disobeying my word. So I, I, I hope you're getting my point here that the Old Testament law was severe. Now I think there are two reasons. We're not going to exhaust the reasons this morning. I think there are two reasons that the Old Testament is so severe. Number one, God wants us to know he hates sin. So God's not Santa Claus and God's not Grandpa. Said, well, you know, after all, my, my people can't help themselves. That is not the God of the Bible. He's a holy God. And He cannot look upon sin. And He hates it in the lives of His people. Tell you, help, God help us to get away from this attitude that sin's not a big deal. It's a big deal. God hates sin. Number two, God wants us to know this. He's a holy God. He is a holy God. So I want to make sure I say this, that God hates sin. He hates sins, but he loves sinners. That's why he sent his only begotten son to be the sin sacrifice on the cross 2,000 years ago. All right, so he loves sinners, but I'm going to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, Somebody might be here this morning and say, well, I don't know why God sends people to hell. Excuse me, he's done everything to keep you out of hell. He's done everything he knows to do. He sent Jesus Christ, his only begotten son, to be the sin sacrifice on the cross for our sins. And God's wrath was poured out upon Jesus on that cross. He was my sin bearer. He's done all he can. Now, if you go your own way, that's up to you. That's on you. He's done all that he can to keep you out of hell. So God hates sin. I don't have time to preach this, but I'm going to mention it. And we ought to, too. We ought to hate sin. We ought to have a holy hatred of sin. I'm, I'm telling you, Brother Eric, I'm telling you, 
We're living day and time. But I never would have thought. I never would have thought there'd be independent Baptists taking such a shaky, shaky response to alcohol. I thought I'd never believe it. But then I was doing some research for a class I'm teaching tomorrow, my contemporary theology class, and I didn't know this. I don't know where my brain's been, but I was doing some research, and I found out that three well-known, what we would call, I, I wouldn't, one's a seminary, one, two are Bible colleges, a Bible institute, things like that. All three of these schools have lifted the alcohol ban on their students. Wheaton, these aren't even fundamentalist schools. Moody Bible Institute, Dallas Theological Cemetery. Seminary, I'm sorry. That was a, that was a faux pas. These are, now listen, these are places that are trying to train people, quote unquote, for the ministry. Why in God's name are you lifting alcohol on your students? That doesn't make any sense to me. And I'm telling you, there ought to be a holy hatred for alcohol. Yep. I pastor in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and every once in a while I just cut off a spot on Sunday morning and just go nuts about it for about 10 minutes. Because I want people, I wanted people to know God is against alcohol, which means he's against social drinking. I only drink a little bit. Okay, well, I tell my wife, I'm only going to commit adultery moderately. I'll only do it once a month. I don't want to do anything too much. You see how ludicrous that is? And yet people use the same reasoning about alcohol. And I don't even know why I got off on that, but it's not even in my notes here about that. I'm just saying we ought to hate alcohol. We ought to hate pornography and perversion that is taking our country by storm. And I'm just telling you, there ought to be a holy hatred against sin. That's all I'm saying. And so often there's not. All right, watch this. That's the Old Testament. Look at the New Testament. For time's sake, I just want to read the first part. Of how much sore punishment. Of how much sore punishment. All right, well, if that's the way it was in the Old Testament, here's what people think. Well, in the New Testament, we're under grace. I'm under grace. I'm so glad that I'm not. I'm just going to tell you, I'm glad I'm not under law. Tell you right now. Out of the Mosaic law, I'm thankful I'm in the age of grace. I'm thankful that God's grace has been abundant on me. But here's the thing. People think, well, we're under grace, we're under law, so we got it easy. That's not, what the, that's not what the Bible says. Watch it. The greater the knowledge, greater the sin. If how much sore punishment shall he be thought worthy? And then Paul paints... One of the saddest pictures in the whole Bible, I believe, of a backslidden believer who is living in open, defiant rebellion against God. Watch it. They all begin with half. There are three halves here. Number one, who had trodden underfoot the Son of God. If you, if Rocky Harrell, If we are allowing deliberate, defiant sin in our life, here's what we're doing. We're rejecting God's Son. Watch this. Here's what we're doing. Watch. That's what I think of Jesus. No, that's not my words. That's what the Bible says. 
trampling underfoot the Son of God. Do you remember? I think it's in, uh, I got to hear my notes. I think it's in Matthew chapter 5 in verse number 13. Yes, it is. Matthew 5, 13. Jesus said, if the salt have lost its savor, it's good for nothing but to be thrown out and let people walk on it. And when believers allow deliberate sin in their life, they're saying, Jesus, no more than the dirt under my feet. Oh, I wouldn't believe that. No, but when you allow open, defiant rebellion in your life, that's exactly what you do. That's just your opinion. That's what it says in English. Right there. That's what it says. I'm not making it up. That's what it says. Well, if we had a new translation, it'd still say what it says in King James English. Amen. Look at this. Hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing. If you, if I am allowing deliberate, defiant sin in my life, I am despising God's sacrifice. Well, what sacrifice are we talking about? Well, what's it say there? The blood of the covenant. When Jesus Christ died on the cross of Calvary, he shed his blood. And his blood, please listen to this. His blood didn't just fall on the ground and evaporate. Oh no, he took that blood and he put it on the mercy seat in heaven. And it is the blood of the covenant. But when I allow unconfessed sin, when I have this defiant rebellion in my life against the ways of God, I count that, notice this, as unholy. Unholy. Well, what does that mean? Common, unconsecrated, having no atoning efficacy. I don't care that you died for me and shed your blood for me on the cross of Calvary. It makes no difference in my life. Ladies and gentlemen, without the blood of Jesus Christ, all of us be dying and go to hell today. But he shed his blood so you and I could be saved. Look at this. And hath done despite under the spirit of grace. If you, if Rocky Harrell, if we allow deliberate, defiant rebellion in our life, we won't get it right. Here's what we're doing. We're insulting the spirit of grace. Would you notice the word despite? It's the only time that word is used. If not the Greek word that's translated despite. It's the only time it's used in the New Testament. Nowhere else is it used. And it is the worst kind of an insult you could give to someone. It is, a, it is a term of reproach. It is to outrage. It is the worst kind of indecent insult you can give to someone. When you receive Jesus Christ, your personal Savior, the Holy Spirit comes to indwell you. He is the resident within. He's the one that can give you victory over the world, over the flesh, and over the devil. And He will never leave you. And your body is called the temple of God because you're saved, because God has redeemed you by His blood, therefore you're not your own. And God's Holy Spirit is the divine person that helps you and causes you to live, listen to this, a holy, clean, pure life. The Holy Spirit of God helps you to do that. You can't do it in your own strength. I can't do it in my own strength. And therefore, when we sin, listen to this, we grieve Him. We grieve him. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 30. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God whereby you're sealed unto the day of redemption. So watch this. I'm, 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 I'm circling the airport right now. Okay. Watch it. I'm saved. 
I'm born again. The Spirit of God lives inside of me. And here I am a, here I am a believer. And I'm sitting looking at the internet. Of things I shouldn't be looking at. I have to be graphic this morning. You get the idea. Pornography. You know what that does to the Spirit of God? It grieves the Spirit of God. He's not okay with that. You're watching movies or TV and people got, they don't have any clothes on and, and you know, all kind of stuff going on that people ought not be watching anyway. It grieves the Spirit of God. Oh, don't make me park here for 10 minutes. I'm trying to get done. It grieves the Spirit of God when we allow that garbage in our life. Let me tell you what it's like. It's not, this, this is just, I don't know. It, I think it makes the point. How, how, how is it like that we despise the spirit of grace? How is that that we do that? It'd be like this. It'd be like if a man brought home a prostitute and said to his wife, she's going to live with it. Now deal with it. Oh, Brother Rocky, that would be horrendous. It would. It'd be ball bat time for the wife. I'm not kidding, I'm serious. But I'm telling you, that's exactly what happens to the Spirit of God. We we grieve Him because we allow that. That's what the Word of God says. Well, we're in the New Testament age and we're living in grace. That's great, that's right. But because we're saved and because we have this time with Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God indwells us, we have great, we have something that people in the Old Testament didn't have. So therefore, we're held to a higher standard. And when we do that, we do despite it of the spirit of grace, mercy. So watch this. Here's the last thing. It's real simple. Make it real simple. Verse 30 and 31. Here is the promise for deliberate sin. And this is simply, you need to understand this. I'm thankful. Let me make sure I say this before I go down where I'm going. I'm thankful that God is long-suffering, and I'm thankful that He's patient with me. And every day in my prayer time, I say, Lord, I thank you that you're such a long-suffering and patient Heavenly Father, and I'm thankful you've been long-suffering and patient with me. Okay, I'm thankful for that. But I want you to understand something, that God is going to deal with deliberate sin in one of two ways. So look here, verse 30 again. Vengeance belongeth unto me, I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. So mark this down. God will not tolerate bold, malicious rebellion in his people. He will discipline us for the deeds we do. Now, please listen to this. Oh, so much here. He first of all is going to do that through the book. This is how God wants to chasten everyone in this room today. The pastor gets up, he preaches the word of God, and the spirit of God brings conviction. He says, yeah, I need to get that right. Yeah, that's right. That's not right. I need to confess. I need to get that out. He wants to chasten us through the word. But if the word doesn't work, he can bring out a belt. And he can bring circumstances in your life to chasten you. And if that doesn't work, he can take you to heaven. Now watch this. That quote there is from Deuteronomy chapter 32, verses 35 and 36. 
And vengeance, when it is dealing with the Lord, has no thought of vindictiveness or getting even. Listen, it is simply the meeting out of what a person actually deserves. Let's see, Paul would say it this way, Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. David was a man after God's own heart, but he committed adultery. And I believe God forgave him because he confessed his sins. But he dealt with the repercussions the rest of his life. Because 1 John 1, 9 doesn't take away the consequences. just doesn't. So hang on here. Hang on. Oh, I'm not even going to read it. I'm just going to tell you. So you're sitting here this morning saying, I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm saved. I'm born again. I joined the church. I got baptized. I'm doing, but I live, I live how I want to and nothing ever happens to me. I, I, there must be something wrong with that. Well, the thing that could be wrong with that, you read over there in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 8, you're not one of his. You're not a child of God. I tell you, I wouldn't want to bet my eternal salvation that I'm going to heaven on something that I did and my life's never changed and there's no repentance that shows in my life. Because I'm going to tell you, that you know what? I, I want to do right and I want to live right and, and I'm not perfect and I'm not saying that. But I'm going to tell you, one thing keeps me from going idiotic in my life and making stupid decisions in my life. You know what it is? I fear God. Because I got a wife, I got four children and ten grandchildren. I fear God. And I don't, I don't want to be, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to make dumb choices in my life. At, and I'm 56. And if the Lord tears is coming, I may get to live about 10, 15, maybe 20 more years of them. If I'm, I don't know. But I was telling you, I don't want to get to the end of my life and trip up. I want to fear God. I want the word of God to do what it needs to do. All right, look at this and I'm done. Look at this. Verse 31. It's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. So let me, let me put this verse with that. 1 John chapter 5, verse 16. There is a sin unto death. Oh, what is that? Oh, wait, 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 wait. That's not a specific sin. It's not a specific sin, a sin unto death. But here's what it is. Watch this. Here's what it is. You keep going and you keep going and you keep going and the word of God keeps coming and you keep ignoring, but you're saved, you're born again and God has chastened you and God has spoken to you and you won't get right, you won't get right and God said, that's it. Up you come. Would God do that? Well, he did it to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians eleven thirteen, because they didn't come to the Lord's table right and he said, for this cause many of you sleep. I, I, am not, I am not the Holy Ghost of God in any way, shape, or form. You can say what you want to. I'm just telling you that when I was a teenager, I believe I saw it happen twice. You don't know that. I don't know that. But I believe because I knew where these men, I believe they're saved. I believe they're going to be in heaven. There's no doubt in my mind about that. But I'm telling you, I think they crossed the line. And I think they knew better. They were raised in good homes and they knew what was right and they knew what was wrong and they wouldn't get right and God said, that's enough. Wouldn't that be a horrible way to meet the Lord? Yeah. Here's a good thing. You don't have to fall in the hands of the living God for judgment. You can fall in the hands of the living God for cleansing. Yeah. Listen to this and I'm done. 
2 Samuel 24, 14, David said, Let us fall into the hand of the Lord, for His mercies are great. And see, here's the great thing about being in a church service today. I, don't, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I know some people here. I don't know what's going on in your heart and your mind because I'm not the Holy Spirit of God. But I do know that the Spirit of God put me in this passage because I had something else I wanted to preach. And he said, nope, go right here. So I'm trying, to, I'm trying to be obedient to my Lord today. But I'm just telling you, you don't have to go through all the bad stuff. You can get the good stuff and say, I need to get this nailed down today and get this out. Get it re- I need to confess it, listen, and repent and get it out of my life, whatever it is. So I left out something major in my notes here, and the Lord said, don't forget to tell him that. So thank you, Lord, I need to, I need to tell you this. Because if you're sitting here today saying, well, you know, I don't commit adultery, I don't murder, I don't steal, so that certainly doesn't apply to me. Uh, those are sins of the flesh that we can see. What about sins of the spirit we can't see? I don't have any idea what you're talking about. How about bitterness? That eats away like a cancer on the inside of an individual that's a born-again believer. And you know what's right and you know what's wrong and you just hang on to your bitterness. You're bitter. I'm going to hang on to it. You know, listen, you know what you're doing? You're deliberately sinning. How about this? How about an unforgiving spirit? I mean, as a pastor, I pastored two churches for 26 years, two different churches. And I'm just telling you, I dealt with that in my ministry of people just hanging on to stuff from the past. I want to tell you, you if you're saved day, you have been forgiven so much there's no reason you should ever hang on to anything against anybody because you, listen, you just got to remember what your sins did to your Savior. Or other lists. But I need to talk about those two things because those are things that people don't necessarily see. Or whatever else is down on the inside of your soul this morning that Rocky Harrell didn't mention it, but the Spirit of God said, yeah, you know, what, you know what's going on down there. You need to get that out. And get cleansed. Because deliberate sin is very damaging. I want us to bow our heads. Thank you so much for your kind attention to the word of God today.